Soul Surmise with Steve Stockman, looking at issues of faith and culture. Ian Boylan. Sorry. You open your mouth and this thing happens that last year in St. Peter's, my, I, there was tears falling down my face almost your entire set. Uh, Michael Bibley, <clears throat> not good for my street cred, but let me quote Michael Bibley. Um, <laughs> I love Michael Bublé. Yeah, I think you should. We do. We love him. Don't I, think you I think we should be allowed to. Uh, yeah. Um, there's nowhere in the Bible says you're not allowed to like Michael Bublé. Um, he said that they were driving along in the car and they were singing along as a family when he was about seven or eight and he opened his voice and they all kind of went. I mean, when did you know that when you opened your mouth you had this sound that not everybody has the ability of doing? When did, when did you catch that on? I didn't, because, um, I mean, Paul will know this growing up in the States, like, I'm not actually, I was never the best singer in the room. I grew up around monster voices, and within the gospel church, I mean, I was, I was like, I'll be in the choir, I'll back you guys up. Um, you know, so I never had, like, a low self-esteem about it. I just never considered myself a sing, a sanger, as they say. It's, they don't say you can sing, they say you can sang when you can really sing. And I never, I knew I could carry a tune, but actually the moment that I had wasn't about my voice. I knew for me, from a very young age, because when you grow up in church, you get to sing on stage from a very young age. They put you on stage as soon as you can say something, you are on the stage. 
And for me, um, I remember singing one of my first solos. And when I stepped on the stage, the only thing I can, ex- I can explain it as being is I felt this very intense connection with everyone in the room. And I felt this sense that when I was singing, it was as if I was able to express what everybody was carrying in a way that they maybe couldn't. And so that was the thing that felt, I, I knew that I didn't, no one else was describing that experience to me. None of my other friends who were singing were ever describing that being the experience. And I knew that for me, that was something that um, felt unique. Not that it doesn't happen to anyone else, but it felt. So it's a pastoral, it's a pastoral vocation you're singing, you're, te- you're carrying other people's. It's almost like, it almost feels like intercession, yeah. if you will. It feels like, you know, um, we used to have this old uh, gospel song. It's not an old gospel song. It's actually kind of a contemporary gospel song. But a woman named Babby Mason, I don't know if you ever came across her, but she did like gospel music in the States. And she had this song called I'll Be Standing in the Gap for You. Just remember. And I always felt like when whatever stage I was on, not even, not just church stages, I always felt like it was, I felt like I was a go-between nearly. I don't know. And then, I mean, you went to Minneapolis mm-hmm. to pursue a degree in music. Mm-hmm. Um, was that with the attention you know, were you, were you ambitious enough to think there was a career in that? Or why, what were you going to do with your music there? No, I try to explain this to people here. In the States, like, unless, you're, unless you know what you're going to do and it's going to, like, you're going to be, like, a neuroscientist or a doctor, you literally just go and study what, you, what you're interested in. Because you could get a... I, if you have a four-year degree, I, I went from that music degree and went straight into commercial real estate in Los Angeles. Like, it's, it's not as, like tied in, you have to do this. Um, I felt like actually what was most important was that I got really good grades and I finished in four years. That was the thing that people looked at when they were going to hire me. So when, when I went to university, I just thought I want to um, study something that's going to keep my attention for four years. And there's rumors of Kanye. Uh, singing <laughs> with Kanye. Is that... That did happen. I mean, how, 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 how does that happen? Do you happen? remember when Hurricane Katrina happened? Yeah. And we have this tradition in the states that when there's um i don't know if they do it so much anymore but what, it was a lot of when i was growing up whenever there's like a natural disaster something where they needed people to um donate to a cause and it was very quick they would do these uh, all these musicians would come in and perform on television and all the people in the back with the phones just on the phones talking to people taking money and so they were doing that for hurricane katrina in la well when that was going on I've just scared myself and thought maybe it was a different disaster. Anyway, there was some disaster. I don't know. Do not quote me on it. Do not go look up. There was some disaster. And whatever the disaster was, Kanye's regular singers could not make it to him in time. It was like literally he got phone calls on me the next day. And I had been singing by just accident. Everything was by fluke. I'd been singing at the House of Blues for their Sunday brunch with a small group of singers just having fun. I was their backup singer. They were way better than I was. And th- th- they called them. They said, we need singers for Kanye for this show. And next, thing, next day, I'm in the room with Kanye West, and Jesus Walks was the song. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you think, real estate, maybe, maybe it could give that a mess and head with Kanye? Or... <laughs> 
No, because, you know, it's funny. I am not... I am not the type of person that it, it takes a certain type of person to enjoy the music industry. It's not a bad person. It's just a certain type of person that that, that industry energizes them. And I'm not that person. I, I don't small talk really. Honestly, I'd rather pluck out my own eyes than have a bit of small talk. That's why I like you because we've never had small talk in our lives. <laughs> you don't even know my kids' names. Like we just went straight to you know, the civil rights movement. <laughs> and so, Not yet. I, you know, that kind of thing, I, I, always, I always felt like I couldn't do music because um, I didn't see myself in the industry. And the music business was a certain type of thing that I just thought, maybe that, maybe that isn't for me. So I did that thing with Kanye West. Um, and... I had another run-in with the producer of the Pussycat Dolls, which, you, look at me, I'm not a Pussycat Doll. Do you know what I mean? If you don't know who they are, don't look them up here. Not Please don't. No. You know, no, it's, not, it's, nothing, it's nothing weird, but, you know. Um, and so there was always these, like, brushes with that world, but I, I, I always felt like I was leaning out of it just because I didn't really feel like I saw myself. <laughs> when you met Andrew and, uh, and, and you came in Northern Ireland, you leaned back so far that you just fell off the chair altogether? Is that I leaned back so far I fell into Van Morrison's band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that is what I said at the start. You know, you're with this Presbyterian choir, mm -hmm. and then the next to see you, you're with Van Morrison. I'm thinking, that's a shift. Because yeah. actually, the interesting thing is, none of the rest of that choir were with Van. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so so how did, how did that come about? How, how did you just drop into these things as you talk about. Yeah. So I met up, I told you, I, I got my start singing with all these incredible jazz people in Belfast, and they tolerated me because they wanted to play jazz the way they wanted to play it. But I think they realized that um, they would get um, a larger audience if they had a singer come in and just do the odd song. Right, and then between those songs, they could play whatever they wanted to play. So I was the token singer that came in to do the odd song. And at one stage, a mutual friend of ours uh, started this thing in McHugh's bar in Belfast, downstairs, the oldest bar in Belfast. And it was packed every Sunday afternoon. Well, here I am married to my husband, da -da -da. We're, we're starting a family, we already have one child, and I was heavily pregnant with twin boys. I mean, honestly, I couldn't even pretend anymore that I wanted to be there. I was so tired, so annoyed. I would sit on a stool, sing my songs, and go hide in a corner somewhere. And one day, our mutual friend came up to me in a flap and said to me, listen, I don't want to make you nervous before you have to go on and sing. And I was like, what? He's like, now listen, don't freak out. I said, okay, what's happening? He says, Van Morrison is here. I said, okay. <laughs> Who is Van Morrison? <laughs> so, and I think he was there because he was looking for a new backing singer, but I was heavily pregnant, so he, was, he came for a while, a few weeks or months or whatever, he came every week or every other week or something. And then I went off and I had my boys, and about... Eight months later, I got a phone call from his 
office, kind of like, are you, are you done raising those children yet? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the beginning of that, yeah. One of our congregation here had a phone call from the same office when uh, he drove into the back of her on the Newton Arch Road. Um, <laughs> so, you're singing with Van, and many of us are there, or at least we were there for the 70th, which was an amazing thing. Bottom of Cypress Avenue and Van Morrison's 70th birthday. I mean, I watched it again this week in research for our interview, and uh, just the very idea that it happened is... Uh, a moment, I think, in, his, in music history. But, but I'm watching you, <laughs> particularly there, where you, you become Cliff Richard because you're singing Whenever God Shines His Light. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, try, I'm trying to watch and I'm thinking, is this exciting or absolutely terrifying? For me? Yeah. Because Van, yeah. He, he doesn't do it by the... It is jazz. He's, he's, he's moving about stuff and he's... Yeah. He's, 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 he's bringing a feeling in, like the, one of the next songs, Hindford Street, one, the eternal now, and you felt the Holy Spirit was actually on the street at that point. Um, what's it like to be in those moments with Anne? And is it always exciting or a bit nervous as well? Yeah. I mean, you know the old saying, ignorance is bliss. And I think because when I was growing up, we had such rich uh, music at our fingertips. We weren't hurting for music. I genuinely did not know about Van Morrison, you know, because I always joke and say, I now know that people call him blue-eyed soul, right? But then when you have like black, like when you have soul, you don't go looking for blue-eyed soul. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like I heard him and I didn't like him. I just genuinely didn't need to hear it didn't him. Get the, it didn't get to the, my parents. And funny enough, now my whole family, because they, you know, have gone to so many Van Morrison concerts in the U.S., um, they love them, but they, it was like they were, just, they were like in their 50s and 60s, like, who is this? You know, we just didn't know. And so for me, the ignorance is bliss. I didn't have probably the same, I would imagine if, if I was on stage with Stevie Wonder and he started singing like, isn't she lovely? I would nearly be too afraid to sing it with him. I'd be like, am I allowed to put my voice next to this? man's voice on this song like it would almost be a bit too sacred because I didn't have that it, it was beautiful for me because I, I was discovering his music as I was learning his music to do his backing vocals so for me I and because I grew up in church where you did have these like holy spirit moments yeah. I felt really comfortable I was like oh this is incredible what when he would um, stretch out on songs and people would be feeling all sorts of things. I, I just, it felt normal to me. It felt. Do you think really, when you say it like that, you maybe got the gig because it wasn't as precious to you, whereas it was more precious for others? I, I wouldn't even begin to try and understand why I got that gig. <laughs> I don't even try, just the take, you know, whatever. But it was a good time in your life. It was an amazing time. I learned so much. I actually, I think I needed. It was, it was nearly seven years. I think I needed that to fully accept that I am a musician and this is what I am supposed to be doing. Um, it took that long. <laughs> I'd like to say again, but you, you, you talked about, and he said his head down, he's maybe falling asleep over there, but, um, but you know, when you're right, McCain, I'm, I'm, I'm almost was going to just take the microphone over to him because you're coming out of something where you've never heard of Van Morrison because you've no need to hear about Van Morrison. Uh, and Kian, you've come up out of a, a different, in some ways, upbringing, or 
not upbringing, but musical influences in your life growing up in Dublin. So writing together, um, are you learning from each other? Is uh, how, how... Kian's teaching me. Um, no, I can say this is unscripted, by the way, so he doesn't know he's being asked anything. I was just having a lovely little sleep there. <laughs> um, well, no, I can safely say we're, you know, it's a very, very easy writing writing partnership with Dana. We just some some people you click with, some people you may not click as well with, and some people you may not click with at all. Um, and whatever our combined musical influences, a lot would be probably very similar, to be honest with you. Um, and then, you know, everyone's got different aspects to, I mean, actually I would have listened to a lot of Van, but I probably shelved those while we were writing together. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just very, very easy working relationship and writing relationship from the word go. I think on our first session, we probably had about four songs by the end of it, did we? You know, um, but yeah, I, I think we, it helps when you've got um, similar likes, but just just enough that you can throw someone in a different direction. And then when they respond to that, which Dana did instantly, it's such a such a joy, really. Sing again, Dana. I'll take that microphone off you, brother. I don't want to sing. Yeah. You don't want to read it. <laughs> This song is a really good <laughs> example of um, actually something being written from a place where both Keen and I have a lot of commonality in what we love. And uh, I, I came to Keen one day and I said, the world is so complicated. Um, we can sort of major on the darkness a lot. You hear we, we, we talk a lot about what's wrong and uh, we know that life is complicated. And I said, I kind of miss, you know, those romantic comedies like when Harry met Sally, you know? We all knew it didn't work out that way, but it was just lovely to watch the simplicity of that story. And then it was made even better by uh, a man that we both are very much in love with, uh, Harry Connick Jr. doing the soundtrack to that. So I came to Keenan and I said, listen, I want to write a song that celebrates that simplicity of just maybe love going right. Do you know what I mean? Uh, the romantic comedy love. Let's write a song that Harry will be proud of. And this is what we came up with. Like somebody in love I feel the sky is opened up And it is strange how a cloud Feels like a smile When you're somebody in Somebody in love I feel the sky is opened up 
And it is strange how a cloud feels like a smile when you're somebody in love. I feel like somebody in love. Never been one to open up, so it's a mystery to me how I could be suddenly craving your touch. Somebody in love And it's true what they say about love That it starts like a seed And grows quietly Till you're somebody in love You've been listening to the Soul Surmise Podcast With Steve Stockland the series is produced in Hollywood by Peter Greer 